Hey everybody, this is a special edition episode of the Running Rogue podcast. This is Chris coming at you from Austin, Texas on a Thursday. I've got former guest with me, Jojo Gretchel, here to talk about all things NCAA championships. I, got, I gave you a little taste of this in my last episode that I released on Monday, but Jojo reached out and said, hey, we need to talk a little bit more about NCAAs because it was here in Austin this past weekend, and I said, let's do it. So you're here. Thanks for reaching out. This, is a, this will be a fun discussion as we go back and forth, play a little volleyball riffing on our talk, talk, top takeaways from the championships. How are you doing today, JoJo? I'm good. Uh, I'm excited. It's not as exciting to be in Austin this week as it was last week with all the athletes here. Uh, it was fun to go out on Town Lake Trail and... You know, I saw Aaron Finn. I yeah. made the Oregon coach uh, run with me, <laughs> Ben Thomas, for a little bit. He's yeah. like, oh, I was asking him <laughs> questions, and then he used the porta potty and started running in the opposite direction. <laughs> it's actually true. <laughs> <laughs> he was scared of you. That is true, though. Everybody ends up down on Town Lake Trail, and you can definitely pick out the NCAA athletes <laughs> among the group as they're the fit and fast ones flying all around. Especially at 5 p.m. <laughs> yes. I didn't see as many because I'm typically out way too early for the collegiate <laughs> athletes. But, yes, always a cool time when NCAA, either championships or sometimes we host regionals. I think we've got the championships next year as well. So we've got that to look forward to. They've got two years. UT has two years. And then it goes back to Eugene after that. So before, but before we jump in. We do have a more somber update to provide, which I also wanted to get your perspective on. Sadly, Gabe Grunewald passed away this week. I talked on Monday about how she had entered end-of-life care is what her husband Justin was calling it as, as she was reaching the end of her journey in battling cancer for the fourth time. Sadly, she passed away on the 11th, which would have been Tuesday, and ending ending what at at 32 what was a life that was lived in a very full way even if it was cut short you got to meet Gabe and interview her at one point and I think also were competing collegiately when she was also in the collegiate ranks what were your impressions of Gabe first of all and then how are you reacting to her passing yeah, I mean, it's it's really tragic. Uh, it, it was weird to sort of see it come up again in the past couple of weeks with Justin giving the updates because there, you know, there was a huge, a lot of media attention two years ago when she was competing at a high level and getting into the U.S. Nationals. Uh, and then, you know, you sort of see the updates and you're like, oh, yeah, Gabe, like she's still going strong. Like she's she's going to be around forever. And I don't think anyone was thinking that. I mean, there was, you know, you're never thinking that that day is actually going to come. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously they're, they're not sharing every single second of it with us. Um, but yeah, I mean, Gabe was maybe a senior when I was a freshman in college. Um, so she was a little bit older than me, but I definitely remember her and, looked up to her story uh you know I think she got a lot of attention back then because she had gone through the cancer battle just as she was breaking out for the first time and becoming uh, an all-american 
type in the 1500, which was my event also. So uh, she was always a runner that I looked up to from, you know, when I started having runners that I looked up to. Um, And then, yeah, I've always, she just, I think she always was someone who seemed really genuine in interviews. um, And I actually... I didn't get the chance to interview her until t- 2017, two years ago. So I had known of her for a really long time and just sort of followed her because uh, I mostly was covering high school for a while. Um, and then in 2017, I was able to do an interview with her. And unfortunately, by that time, you know, the, the topic was really more about her cancer. And at that time, it was her fourth battle with cancer. Yeah. Uh, and... So we talked at the the U.S. championships, and I actually went back and watched the interview again recently, and or I mean, yeah, like yesterday. Um, and she she's mostly mostly we talked about like how how she had to adjust her training uh, because she had already started her chemotherapy, and she was just kind of figuring out like what she needed to do, and was taking it really day by day, and even a day of the day of the race, she wasn't sure if she'd be able to run uh, and her husband Justin is a doctor and so she was able to consult with him a lot and you know he'd give her feedback and she mostly was able to race and she was obviously able, able to race in the championships um, but that was that moment where I, I think the picture has been circulated a lot where it's the the group of women from the 1500 they're all around the start line uh, they surrounded her they, yeah, and embraced her. Uh, and that was a really, just a very, you don't have a lot of moments like that uh, in sport where it becomes about so much more than the effort on the track. Uh, and I mean, she kind of just encapsulated a lot of things about the sport where it really is something that brings people together and everyone has something that they're running for that is bigger than themselves. And I think Gabe reminds us um, of those things. Yeah, she, the thing that strikes me, and I've never met her, it's just a story that I've followed and I've watched interviews like yours to try to get a glimpse of what she's like. But the thing that's inspiring for me is the fearlessness that she seemed to show in the face of it all. I'm sure there was crazy fear and I'm sure she struggled and had those moments where she wasn't strong. But for for us, those that were watching, while she was honest about the struggles she was going through and straightforward about the challenges, she always seemed so brave, to use the word that is in the hashtag, hashtag brave, brave like Gabe, so brave, so joyful in spite of the struggles. and And then at the same time, authentic and just real through it too so it wasn't like i didn't feel like she was ever putting on a a fake happy face or a fake facade to to gloss over her journey or her struggles but it was more that in spite of those things she was still choosing joy and still choosing to fight and still choosing to show others how to be brave in the face of whatever challenges they might be facing and so it is it is sad to see someone like that go too soon but it's also been really 
inspiring to see the impact somebody like that could have even in a short period of time. And I mean, just, just around the days of, of her passing with the help of Chip Gaines, I mean, he raised something like $1.5 million for cancer research around, around this event and the awareness that she was able to bring forward on cancer research and raising money for that, for that cause. So in spite of the tragedy, there is some good coming of it. And I, you know, I don't necessarily think that's any consolation for anybody because it's, I would, you know, I think we'd all rather have both (laughs) Gabe and, and cancer research funded, but, but it is good to see positive coming from the example that she was able to set. So how are you processing it? I feel like I've been just reading. I mean, every, you know, pretty much every publication is, is putting out a story. Every pro runner is posting their memories of Gabe. And, you know, this is kind of one of those moments where you do see the value of social media because it is letting us, uh, you know, just better access to people's reactions to this who really knew her and spent a lot of time with her uh, and were her peers in the running world. Um, that's that's what I've been finding myself doing. I, have you seen the documentary that Brooks put out a couple years ago? The video? Yeah. Yeah, the, yeah, the video, the YouTube video. I shared that actually with my Wednesday morning group today because it is an inspiring way of capturing her story i also shared with them the tim laden si article that he just put out because tim tim's an olympic rider who's just all world journalist across a lot of different sports but he also covers track and field and and has followed her story and so put out a really great piece so i'll share both of those things in the show notes so people can can take a look and and find that inspiration but it has been really overwhelming in a good way to see the response from all parts of the running community and then all parts of the Chipkin Joanna Gaines world, which you know may or may not be directly connected to the running community to see people react so positively to the story is, is pretty powerful. And it's, it's been really kind of nuts. I mean, my f- Twitter feed has just been completely overrun with stories and reactions about Gabe, which just shows you the impact that she was able to have, the number of lives she was able to touch, and and so it's just it's just cool to see. And and while very sad, it also to me brings some hope and positivity to a really tough situation. So, with that. I would encourage everybody, if you don't know Gabe's story, to go watch the video, read the article by Tim Layden. I'll share that. And then chip in for the cause if you can. She's got a foundation called Brave Like Gabe, which her and her husband started to help with cancer research, particularly for the type of cancer that she had. And so if you'd like to contribute and are so inspired, that would be one way to do it. All right, let's turn to our main topic here, Jojo, to jump in on. 
NCAAs and the results. We're not necessarily going to go event by event, but we've each picked a couple of highlights from the men's side, a couple highlights from the women's side, and we're going to go through those and then talk about the related events as a part of the backdrop. So I'm going to let you start, if you don't mind, and we'll start on the men's side. Number one takeaway or interesting storyline from the men's side of the championships. Did you talk about the pole vault already in your other podcast? (laughs) I did mention it. Mondo Duplantis got second in the pole vault and then turned pro. I didn't announce because it wasn't out yet that he has now signed with Puma to to be a pro Puma athlete has a pretty sick Puma kit that he was rocking yeah. in the in the press release announcing his signing with Puma so that's a good story I'm not going to let you use that as one of your takeaways <laughs> but we might as well cover that and then jump in to the rest of it what yeah. were your reactions to Mondo's event as well as to his going pro yeah I mean I I wish I'd been here uh it sucks because it was in Austin, too. I mean, it'll be here next year, so I have to make sure I'm not out of town next year. But in my defense, I did do a 100-mile bike ride, so <laughs> I you were working. I had a good excuse. Um, anyway, yeah, I mean, I think everyone expected Mondo to come into nationals and just keep doing what he's been doing. Uh, but, you know, people in the know did note that the men's pole vault field is really good. And yep. Defending champion Chris Nilsson was able to pull it off. Uh, I think he was definitely not expecting to do that. Uh, was able to have a good day. I, I guess from wh- going back through his results and, and interviews and things I've seen, he was able to – He maybe what threw Mondo off is that Chris uh, increased the bar a little higher than he was expecting to and mm-hmm. maybe wasn't quite ready to take that next jump. Yeah, um, a little gamesmanship in the pole yeah. vault. I thought it was cool because, I mean, I don't think this r- really affects Mondo long term at all. Like, as we saw, he literally signed with Puma like three days later. Like, that deal has been done probably for the past like six months. Right, <laughs> right. Uh, and, you know, Mondo has been owning this guy for the past like <laughs> five years, like since they were in high school. So... You know, there there are, on the, you know, Sam Kendricks is still around. Renault is obviously still around, still around. But it's cool that going moving forward, we do have another, like, a burgeoning rivalry to keep yeah. going. Well, yeah, and you also wonder if he was maybe distracted a little bit by the impending announcement, maybe already looking ahead to trying to make a world team. And, I mean, he could go win the world champs this year in Doha. Could, yeah. And <laughs> then no one's going to care whether he got that NCAA title or not if he's a world champion. So it's the cool part for me is that he does bring some energy and flair, not only to track and field, but also to the pole vault, which is a fun event if you're actually willing to pay attention to it. And to, so to see him sign with Puma, I think is a great get for them. And I think it's great for him because they'll be able to uniquely showcase, you know, Puma tends to, only choose a handful of mm-hmm. athletes, Usain Bolt being obviously famously in their camp. And so now Mondo is the heir apparent in Puma track and field to Usain Bolt, and he's a pole vaulter. And right. so that to me is a really cool thing, which I think 
draws people to the sport broadly and not just a pole vault. And I'm excited to see where that goes because Mondo definitely is fun to watch. He has a flair. If you watch him jump, it's exciting, but it's also really unique and impressive and the way he's able to move over that bar. And so I think it's it's going to be fun to watch to see how he does in Doha this year, see how he does in Tokyo next year. Yeah, definitely. I think Mondo has sort of changed, you know, how how much people pay attention to pole vault. Part of it is just the youth thing. And now now that he's, what, maybe almost 19 years old, uh, if he hasn't turned 19 already. Really old guy, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that'll stick around for a while. Um, but I just think in the past couple of years, uh, beating the big guys um, when he was so young. I, I think, I mean, I don't know, maybe I'm biased because I've been covering it more closely. So, but I do think pole vault has gotten more exciting because of him. For sure. It's just too bad that he's not an American, <laughs> even though yeah. he grew up in Louisiana. I he's mean, he he's jumping for Sweden. Back. He could jumping for back. Sweden. Do you uh, think he'll ever switch back? I don't see that, that happening. That could be up for a debate. I don't see, see that happening. Why? I, I don't know. I just feel like if you're going to make your choice there, why would you change? I mean, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I do sometimes think you, you do see the, the younger kids choose to represent, uh, you know, maybe a parent's country or I mean, like at Rye Benjamin, like he was running for Antigua uh, for a, a couple of years and then. Uh, you know, had to go through that whole ordeal to become, be able to represent United States. So I think sometimes it does happen or Fair. maybe you choose it when you're young because you're yeah. not fully thinking about what that might mean later. Right. Uh, but I don't know. He could yeah. just, we'll see. I mean, it would seem to me like he'd be more likely to switch if he had chosen a sponsor that is more focused on just the U.S. market. Puma, to me, is one that's more focused on an international market you know if he chose nike i could see him making that switch but i think puma probably likes the fact that he's more of an international star because they do invest so specifically in track and field and just one or two key athletes but well, who wouldn't, knows? wouldn't the u.s be a bigger market than sweden well well yes for sure but i i guess i mean I think it makes him more likable globally right. than just in the U.S. Like if he's, if as he's a, a s- yeah, Europe yeah. as a whole, really globally versus if he's a U.S. athlete, that's he a little lost, that's a little lost different. Lost in the mix a little yeah, bit, yeah. right? Yeah, so and, I mean, who knows? Yeah, Europe definitely supports the field athletes more. So this is true. Yeah. So we'll see, but I think it's a fair point. You never know. I just had to start the distance focus podcast off <laughs> by talking, talking about, about pole vault. <laughs> which I appreciate very much. So now let's get your first distance focus takeaway, if you don't mind. Oh, okay. So now I have to do two in a row. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with Bryce Hopple from Kansas. Okay. Uh, I think he hasn't lost this year. You gave me his stat earlier. How many 19 out of 19 this year. That's insane. Uh, in the 800. Second fastest time in the U.S. this year. Uh, yep. Top five in the world, I believe. Top five all time for NCAAs. Top five all time in NCAAs. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think Bryce Hopple kind of makes a case that he, I mean, he could qualify. I don't know. The thing about picking a kid to qualify for Worlds is a little bit harder than usual because the timetable is pushed back. But if the world schedule 
was the way it normally is, I feel like you could argue he looks like a good pick to get top three at USA's. And maybe he still is. Uh, yeah, it is weird with Worlds in October this year and USA's in July. But the race, I mean, really impressive. You ran a 144.84. The thing that strikes me is that with about 125 to go as they were entering the final curve, it looked to me like he was going to get past because he was on the front at that point, had good position on the inside. And then as those other guys started to come up, he just didn't let it happen. And as they got closer to his shoulder, then he started to pull away. And with about 50 to go, you knew he was going to win as he extended his lead in the final 30 to 50 meters to win 19 in a row and get his second NCAA title. He also won indoors this year for the eight. Texas boy. Right. Won a state title in class 6A here in Texas and still pretty young. So I agree. Really impressive result for the Kansas product. I mean, if you go 19-0, and 0, do you come back for senior year? Well, there was speculation about that, that he might turn pro, because you, especially because you have a lot of those young athletes in the 800, especially turning pro early. And I don't, I don't know. It's a good question. I mean, if, I mean, he, I, you know, I just don't know. I don't know where his head's at. I mean, it, to me, it would be a natural move to go ahead and turn pro, especially because the 800 just seems to be a young man's event right now. And with Worlds this year, Olympics next year. But we'll have to see what he decides to do. I have no idea. And <laughs> and he's hasn't indicated one way or the other. Right. I mean, you would think if he was going to do that, he would have the deal ready and have already potentially announced it, kind of like Mondo did. But who knows? Who now, knows? Now maybe he'll be courted. Right. I mean, I think we'll see a lot of mix-up, a lot of announcement through the summer. I mean, maybe it'll even go kind of later than usual this year because Worlds are later, USAs are later. Uh, but, I mean, there's always that moment of USAs where, you know, you know the college kid is in the race. What jersey are they going to show up to the start line in, the college jersey or a new pro kit? Um, so we'll see. I mean, uh, yeah, second time in the U- second fastest time in the U.S. this year. I mean, there's still yeah. a lot of time on the pro calendar. Yes. But, um, but yes. Really fast time, impressive tactics, and 19 in a row. To me, that's the stat because in the 800 with the tactics associated with that race and the sometimes random chaos that plays out in that kind of a short two-lap race, that's hard to do. This is making me want to talk about the women's 800 now. Can that be your next pick? Well, we're going to start with the men. If you'd like to choose the women's eight, we can. But that'll be in a second. All right, so that's so that's number one for you, Bryce Hopple. Shout out to him for getting it done. Got a got a cheer for the Texas product. So I'm gonna go to the other end of the spectrum. Since you started with the eight, I'm gonna go to the other end of the spectrum and talk about the 10K. Clayton Young got the win in 29-16 from BYU. 25-year-old, fifth-year senior who went from 23rd in the event last year to first. Also had a couple of really unimpressive NC Cross (laughs) 
results. Right. And then to show up in this race with three of his teammates or two of his teammates in the top four as well to get the win. He ran a 56 or a sub 56, a 55 and change final lap to basically just blow everybody out of the water and win by two seconds over Gilbert Keegan from Alabama. Pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. For the old, for the old guy. <laughs> it was cool too, to see, uh, you know, after one of his interviews, he sort of alluded to the fact that he felt like it was his fault. Some of these poor performances where BYU didn't live up to the hype before NCAA cross country. He yep. really felt like it was his fault. Last year, yeah, I think the BYU guys took, like, three of the bottom spots in yeah. the 10K. Yep. They were sort of embarrassed about that. Uh, so it's always, I mean, it's always awesome to see an underdog story. Yeah, and Gilbert getting second again <laughs> <laughs> for him. That's that was, yeah, I didn't, that was a, I actually was in the stadium to watch that race, and I'm glad that I went. It was definitely worth watching. Interestingly, too, he was the first American to win this event since Rupp in 2009. Right. So it's that's been 10 a, years. That's yeah. It's been 10 years since an American has won the 10K champ at, at NCs, which is crazy. It's been dominated by international athletes, inclu- including Canadian Ben Flanagan, who was on the podcast. So there you go, Clayton Young from BYU. Oh, and he's a dad. Happy Father's Day. Happy Happy Father's <laughs> Day. He's married and has a kid. Those those uh, Mormons from BYU starting early. Yeah. <laughs> if you haven't seen any of the videos online of the BYU coaches reacting to not only Clayton, but Connor McMillan from BYU getting third, Connor Mance getting fourth. Wow, that's a lot of C names. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the BYU BYU coaches' reactions are really really special. Those he was cool going absolutely nuts yeah. in the stands, cheering <laughs> on his guys down the home stretch. So, so there you go. So that's my first one, Clayton Young for the win. Kudos to the old man in the 10K. What's next for you? Uh, next for me, I'm gonna go. I might be pronouncing his name wrong, uh, but Yared Nagus. Is that correct? Uh, I think it's Nagusi, but... Nagusi? Yes. Is that what you've heard? Okay. Yes. Uh, Notre Dame kid. I think by now he's not necessarily an underdog because we've seen him throw those mile... uh, You know, show off his mile chops in the DMR before. They won uh, at Indoor Nationals this year. But he hasn't had... He's always given up his individual... Chance at individual glory to really shine in the DMRs. Um, I'm not sure what place he got in this last year, actually. Uh, I should look that up as I'm talking. Um, but you know what? I was not. I, I actually picked him to win the 1500 before the meet. Wow. Because. Good pick. Um, well, there wasn't like a clear cut favorite. And you could even say that last year. I mean, Oliver Hoare, that was an upset win. And like when one guy isn't way better than everybody else, then anyone can win in the 1500. Right. And Ollie hasn't been undefeated this year. So that kind of gives everybody a chance to come in. And I felt like we've seen uh, Nagusi really throw down uh, in some races. So. Yeah. And he was in a tough spot in the home stretch of this one, kind of boxed in on the rail behind at least two guys on the inside was able to come by I, I think it was 
either a Stanford or Wisconsin athlete and then was about two to three meters back of Justin Kiprotich who ended up getting second with probably 50 meters to go and then had this final burst at the very end to out lean him to get the win by 0.15 seconds. You know what? He didn't even make nationals outdoors last year. Okay. Wow. Yeah. He only got, he was 13th in the prelim, 19th in the prelim. Yeah. Depending on which of these was the final, but now he's an NCAA champion. Now he's a champion. And he did it at the very end. He just out-leaned Kiprotich. It was almost like Kiprotich didn't know <laughs> that Nagusi was coming because he didn't he didn't lean as much. And right. and, and of course Nagusi knew he had to because it was right there gonna be you know, he's gonna be right there on the line. Anyway, got the got the win with the lean with that final burst for the photo fin- photo finish. Yeah. Pretty, I mean, that was pretty cool result. You definitely couldn't tell who won. Yeah. No, you had yeah, you had to wait. Yeah. We had to wait for the final results to pop cuz yeah, then they were standing around on the track looking at the board to see who would come out on top. So, pretty exciting and in that race, I mean, you had four or five guys in it at the very end. It could have been anybody in the home stretch there with that final kick. So, that's your second one? That's my second one, yeah. I uh, like it. He's still he's only a sophomore. So There you go. And I believe when he first came to Notre Dame, he was a walk-on. Um, I mean, I definitely don't really remember him from high school. So That's uh, a pretty cool story. Yeah. Yeah, definitely we're going to see a lot more of him coming up. All right, that's your second one. That's my second one. So my second one for the men, I since I talked about the men's steeple in my prior episode this week, we've got to talk about the men's 5K and poor Grant Fisher. Always the bridesmaid, (laughs) never the bride. He got beaten by Morgan McDonald yet again. McDonald's from Wisconsin, won his fourth NCAA title in a relatively slow sit-and-kick 5K event, which was won in 1406. It came down to Fisher and McDonald over the last 200, and McDonald was kind of sitting on his shoulder. You could tell he had another gear. He came up on his shoulder with a hundred to go. They were side by side, but it was just one of those situations where watching it, you just knew that McDonald had control and then he pulled away by a couple of seconds or sorry, by about a a half a second over the final final hundred, but it wasn't really that close, you know, a couple, couple meters separating them at the end McDonald for the win to again, beat Grant Fisher. It's his fourth second place finish this year alone. The Stanford product. That's hey, terrible. He won, he won when he was a sophomore. So. Yeah, he did, but still senior going out like that. Yeah. I mean, we definitely haven't seen the end of these two racing against each other. Just it'll be for sure. USA and Australia kits, hopefully in the future. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Morgan, you can't be that mad because Morgan is a guy who's probably going to make he could make the world final this year, you know. For sure. They're uh, both super talented. Both I mean, I super think talented, yeah. I think the good thing for the Americans <laughs> fans is that Grant Fisher will be turning pro, and I think he's got a legit chance to do some things on the international stage, and, and we need some 5K runners that can compete because other than Chalimo, it's been 
and occasionally been true, it's been a pretty lean front for the U.S. in the 5K. Yeah, I'm really curious to see. I mean, I guess I figure he's probably going to go to Bowerman just because that's where you they know, go. He's got some former teammates there, and it would make. S- I'd be surprised to see him go somewhere else. I guess. Right. I agree. Yeah, I think he'll be in the Bowerman kit. Which well, who knows? The Brooks Beast got Josh Kerr, so. There you go. Maybe. But no, I, I think he'll be Nike athlete and. Yeah. And. Bowerman needs men. And the Bowerman kit matches the Stanford gear, <laughs> exactly. so we won't have to throw it, it all It all out. works. <laughs> and, but then, I mean, honestly, Bowerman, Jerry needs some guys that can be that next group coming up because we know that, other, I mean, at least Americans, right? I mean, because what? Ryan Hill's not going to do it anymore. Wow. I'm down on Ryan. <laughs> I am. I've been for a while. I mean, Eric Jenkins is still out there chugging along. He's not a Bowerman, though. No, I know, but he's a 5K guy. No, I know. Oh, well, you're I know. talking I'm about talking Bowerman. About Bowerman. Oh, yeah, okay. I mean, you got Centro, but. Well, Sean McGordy, who, remember, beat Grant Fisher last year at this meet. <laughs> right. So I wouldn't say Sean is worse than Grant. No, I agree, but he just hasn't proven it yet in the pro ranks. Well, he—I ha- mean, he hasn't raced yet, has That's he? That's what I mean. Like he—I—we—we yeah. I, we are yet to see. Oh, yes. But I'm this just saying, true. those that have a track record, Ryan Hill being the most prominent 5K athlete in that group, he's always underperforming, in my opinion. I mean, he's had some good races. Some, but come on, where is he on the international stage? Never there. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I mean, the first thing to do is just. Yeah, I think yeah. Maybe some of these guys are still at the level where it's, you know, you're battling for the top three, and then Chalimo's the guy who's battling for top three in the world. Right. I want to see. So it's just a little different. I I mean, Grant Fisher's not going to be at that level for a while, but. I agree, but so frustrating thing for me about Ryan Hill, since we'll just we'll just go down this (laughs) rabbit hole, is in 5K championships he's let Chalimo dictate. And or just go off the front and just compete for second. And that's frustrating to me. It's like, come on, man. Yeah. You well, can, as a fan, you can you beat him. see a little more action. Yeah. Well, but and Paul Chalima is also one of the best guys in the world. He is. He is. But I think Ryan Hill could be if he actually put himself in that position. But he refuses to. He's always racing for second or third. And but that maybe sometimes that's the smart thing to do if you're mm-hmm. not... The Paul Chalimo. I don't know. Anyway, I think it's... I mean, I guess you don't know It's uninspiring. <laughs> it's uninspiring for me as a fan. I want more from my Bowerman Track Club men because the ladies we know are killing it. That's true. Hopefully, Grant Fisher can be a part of that because I'm telling you, they need help. And Sean McGordy, as you say, could be another name there, but we've yet to see. Okay, so... So those are our four takeaways for the men. We didn't talk about the men's steeple. I talked about it in my last episode because it was crazy. It is a really good video. So (laughs) we won't have this as a takeaway, but what were your reactions watching that race? Oh, it's just insane. It's like the type of thing you'd write into the end of a movie. Like, you know, if you're writing a screenplay about like (laughs) track town part two. (laughs) Right. And then and then Fahey actually gets up and is and able to win the whole wins, thing. And still wins, yeah, after yeah. eating it over the last hurdle. Which was a nice ending. 
That was it was, it was yeah, especially yeah. Uh, after the fall over the over the barrier over the the water jump. Pretty entertaining. If you haven't already YouTube that, go check it out because it's pretty. F- yeah, I'll say entertaining. Not I won't use the word funny. <laughs> it's dramatic. It's, it's there dramatic. you go. Dramatic and entertaining. Yeah. Funny would be probably entertaining in a yeah, just in a in a good way. Yeah. In a negative way. And yeah, Stephen Fahey from Stanford got it done in eight thirty eight after falling over the final barrier. But getting up and still getting the win. Okay, so that is the men's side. Let's talk about the women's side, and I get to go first, so I might steal your thunder. Okay. First things first, and since I have a sense what might be your first takeaway on the women's side, I'm going to go with one that I think will be different, which is Danny Jones, 5K champion. She's back. Fourth NCAA title. She wins in 15.50 with a 64-second final lap to basically put everybody away starting with about 100 meters to go beating Taylor Werner from Arkansas who got second contributing by the way a really important set of points to her team that ended up going on and winning the women's title women team title but Danny Jones also NCAA cross champion from Colorado I'm excited about what she can do in the pro ranks Definitely, yeah, for sure. I mean, she's like the definitely the the most highly rated prospect, I would say, right in the upcoming class. I mean, she still has another year of NCAA eligibility, yep. so we won't see her making that leap for another year. Um, but I mean, coming in, looking at the list of names, you would think, you know, Danny would probably be the favorite, but. She has been kind of quiet, and I think it was only revealed this weekend that she had had a lot of, like, stress-related, um, stress fracture injuries. Yep. I don't think that was, I don't think we knew about that before. Stress reaction in her fibula, yeah. I believe. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, that final 400, you kind of knew it was going to happen. Yeah, um, she was sitting, waiting, and then made her move with 100 to go or so. It was kind of like... I mean, it's kind of like, in a way, the men's race. Yeah, very I mean, similar. it is. I would say it's more exciting to watch Morgan and Grant because I think Grant had a better chance of beating Morgan than any of these women beating Danny. But right. once once he made the move, it was like when Danny made the move. It was just it was over. You knew it was over. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And it, and it happened at about the same spot, about a hundred to go. Yeah. So in a lot of ways, as you say, those were mirror races. And there were six women with two laps to go here, but as you looked at it, watching it, you're like, okay. If Danny's there, she's looking strong. She was patient, stayed behind everybody, and then went and was gone. So, yeah. shout out to Danny Jones. Uh, shout out, too, to uh, Hannah Steelman from Wofford, who I've never heard of in my <laughs> life. Yeah. Uh, third in the steeplechase, comes back. Of the three women who did the double. So, I mean, it was 100 degrees on Saturday in Austin, right? Yep. Like, high 90s. It was a hard race. So I think it was Ali Ostrander, Charlotte Prowse, and Hannah Steelman did the double. Hannah Steelman had the best finish in the 5K out of those three women. Uh, Eighth place. Pretty impressive. I want to know more about this girl. (laughs) Where's the profile on her? (laughs) Right. (laughs) That double. And that that is actually another storyline of the whole weekend was it being hot in Austin. 
temperatures in the 90s for some of these races during the day and then still in the upper 70s low 80s in the night for some of the distance events and that made it made it pretty tough it was great for the sprinters because they like that probably over they would take that any day over the the cold the the cold and damp downpour energy in the past couple years yes exactly i am kind of curious looking at it now you know how much harder does it make uh, not just the steeplechase, but to do the 10K and then two days later come back to the 5K, not only the fatigue, but dealing with the heat. I guess I'm kind of looking at Wayne Kalati, who, uh, you know, even though she almost got run down in the last bit of the women's 10K, uh, I think really was the dominant athlete there. Uh, and to come back and get fifth in the 5K, obviously great. But it does show you, you know, we asked a lot of Carissa Schweizer last year. Like, people were shitting on her because she couldn't win with the 10K and the 5K. Right. Right? And I, I think that just show you know, no one came close to, I, I mean, maybe we just don't have that standout athlete, dominant athlete this year. Right. But that's a really hard thing to do. And she got second and first. Right. Yeah. And, well, yeah, and the heat's obviously a factor there, but I also think the fields are deeper than ever, yeah. really, at NCAAs. I mean, when you have, and we're jumping around a bit, but when you have, women running a 405 in the 1500 yeah. at NCAA champs. That's pretty absurd. So I think they just need to keep NCAAs in Austin. Maybe that's you know, it. Eugene can have the trials. We'll keep NCAAs. Permanent. Yeah, permanently <laughs> here. I mean, we'll take the trials too, but. All right. So you started throwing in some takeaways there, but yeah, sorry. We'll, we'll go officially <laughs> to your first. So we started with D- Danny Jones. Congrats to her. What's your official first takeaway on the women's side? Official first. Oh, one more note on Danny Jones. She is doing the 1500 at USA's. Really? So she I did didn't the 5K because she basically was coming back from injury and it felt like she didn't have the speed. It, 5K seemed the better route for her, but she is planning to do the 1500 at USA's and hoping to go to Worlds because she doesn't have cross-country eligibility. She just has indoor and outdoor. Interesting. So That's an interesting footnote. It'll be interesting to see how fast she can get in the next uh, month and a half. Um, nice. Yeah, go Danny. So my first official takeaway, um, I guess I g- we talked about some of the steeplers, the girls doubling back. So yeah. let's go there. Yep. Uh, so Allie Ostrander, um, Boise honestly, State. I'm Boise a, State. I'm impressed by this girl every year that she's not scared to do the steeple 5K double, even though she always looks like she must be hurting <laughs> in that 5K. You know, it's only I think they only got like 90 minutes rest in between yeah um but so she won her third straight steeplechase title uh this year i think was harder than any other year the the past two years it's been i don't want to say watered down but it's just been obvious that it was her title to lose and this year i think there are a lot of really strong athletes who kind of you know have run faster than her uh New Mexico's Adva Cohen. She was a European Championships finalist last year. She came in with a PR maybe almost 10 seconds better than Allie's. You know, she'd run under 9.30 before. So I think a lot of people were looking at Adva Cohen to dethrone her. Uh, But, you know, she wasn't wasn't able to. Uh, Erica Burke from BYU has been running super well. Um, Well, and she won by seven seconds. (laughs) I mean... I mean, it was, but it was closer than that time indicates. I mean, they had a group of six together till about two laps to go, and then Ostrander took charge. But 
came down to still the final couple of laps and she but she just kept pulling away especially over that final lap to win in dominating fashion third straight title also pr for her running eighth i think it was 937 937 yeah so that's pretty amazing and then of course her interview afterwards went pretty viral at least in the running world (laughs) where she said i'm just so hot (laughs) but not in an attractive sort of way it's very relatable moment yeah for people who run in austin yeah you could tell (laughs) she was just suffering from the heat (laughs) and overwhelmed by it in her interview (laughs) and so that was a pretty pretty funny moment but yeah third straight title first distance triple since lauren fleshman tripled up in the 5k in 2003 so it's been almost 16 or 16 years since a, since an athlete in distance events has won three in a row raven rogers did it in the eight but that would be i'm gonna but that's middle distance of course and so it's not easy to do and this puts her in the discussions with jenny simpson and emma coburn Shalea Kip of some of the greatest NCAA steeplers of all time. Yeah, I'm really excited to see, you know, if she's able to win her fourth straight title next year. Uh, I think that puts her in really elite company. Not many people have done that. Um, And also what event she's going to end up pursuing as a pro. Mm -hmm. Um, Typically, like, she doesn't come back for USA's after the season's over. So I'm curious if she would this year and if it would be in the steeple or if maybe 5K will be her event later. Um, Yeah, I know there was some talk about the steeple because the U.S. can take four this year to Worlds with Emma being the world champion. So that opens up a spot for somebody beyond uh, the Courtney Frerickson Colleen Quigley's of the world so will she go and try to do that it's hard to imagine that she would with worlds being in October but we will see all right anything else to add there before I jump to my second takeaway on the women's side um, no just Alice Beast agree with that so I was so you referenced it earlier I'm going to talk about it the weenie Kaladi win in the 10k from New Mexico, 33-10, beating Car- Carmela Baez, who ran a, th- a 33-11. <laughs> and this was kind of a crazy race to watch because Kaladi took the lead with about six laps to go. So a mile and a half or so to go. Opened up a huge gap on the field. Came through the bell with about a 25-meter lead over Baez and almost lost the race. <laughs> I mean, she was gaining on her the entire way. I think it cut the gap in half by 200 to go and then ended up just a couple meters back at the very end. But Kaladi had one final push as Baez came up on her in that final 30 meters or so, and she ended up extending her lead over the last very little bit. But it was just... It was. I'm so glad that she was able to hold on because that was just one of those where as a fan you're thinking this is a train wreck <laughs> about to happen and you 
you don't like it. Part of you is rooting for the comeback, but then part of you doesn't want that person to have to live live with losing a twenty five meter lead in the final lap right. in NCs. Yeah, that that would hurt. That would definitely hurt. Um, so yeah, she's impressive. It's been fun to see Wayney really develop this year um, into being one of the best women. Yep. It's interesting too that. Uh, you know, she's really surpassed Edna Kurgat, who I feel like when we saw her win cross country a couple of years ago as a sophomore, you know, with sophomore eligibility, it's like, wow, this girl's going to win everything the next like three years. Yep. So it really ebbs and flows. Um, but New, I mean, New Mexico overall, you know, has done so awesome. Stacked. Yeah. So and, you know, and, and as you said, she came back and got fifth in the 5K, you know, that one five double in really hot conditions in Austin's pretty, pretty damn impressive too. It was in the mix in the 5k. You know, she was one of that pack at the end that could have done something, but you just got to believe that her kick had been burned off. Cause that's one thing I don't think people realize if you've never run a 10k on a track, (laughs) that is a different beast than a 10k on the roads. And to recover from that is hard and to think about going and doing another race, <laughs> like 12 and a half laps the next day after a 25 lapper, that's really brutal. So you've got to think that that she was just, the kick had been run out of her, especially in the heat in Austin. For sure. Um, so for my last takeaway, I'm going to do the 1500. Of course, we have to. Although I was trying to talk about the women's 800 earlier. <laughs> we'll come. We'll come back right, we'll to come it. Back, we'll come back. We'll come back to it. Okay. Uh, yeah. So you know, Jessica Hull, Oregon defending champion. Um, Hadn't lost in over a year, I believe. Well, technically, she lost. Uh, yeah, over a year. The last time she lost. Well, this is funny. She last time she lost was the 2018 West Regional, and that was to Sinclair Johnson. And then she went on to win. Who went on after to beat that. Hall? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So she won yeah, yeah. that year. Yeah. Right, right. And so Johnson said last year she got sick or something. I think right before NCAA's. Yeah. So Track and Field News reported today that she had um, a severe allergy to cottonwood. So as soon as she got into town, so she definitely liked the switch to Austin, basically. Right. <laughs> Which is kind of funny. We. <laughs> We have our fair share of cottonwoods, but not a bad cottonwood allergy season like they might in Oregon. Right. Yeah. I feel like everyone in Eugene is complaining about allergies, at least on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So Sinclair Johnson. Yeah. So she kind of she kind of left it to the end. Right. I mean. Yeah. We're all watching Jessica. Uh, I mean, the other Jessica from Notre Dame was helping push the pace early. but Jessica Hull was just kind of lying in wait, and, and she made the move, Jessica Hull. Yeah, and to really open the race up, Johnson was the only one that could go with her. But then it wasn't until the last fifty that Johnson came around and got the win pretty definitively by the very end. It wasn't right. It wasn't a lean at the line, but it was a good race, and she. Sinclair Johnson finished 405 with so the second fastest collegiate 1500 ever run. Jessica Hole got the fourth fastest 
time ever run. They both got the world standard. Both got the world standard and did it on in really warm conditions, which I don't know how much that affects the mile, but that's the distance where it starts to maybe affect you. Right. The other thing about that stadium, Mike Myers, is that it can get kind of windy mm-hmm. at times. And it might be the back stretch, it might be the home stretch. You just never quite know where it's going to hit you. But, but I also feel like that's something else that athletes have to deal with that may not be the case in Eugene. Yeah, that race was definitely a case where if you're way better than anyone, you can go. And maybe she thought she was safe to go. But if the field's a little more even, you don't want to be the one leading at 400, you know, you want to have something left in that final 100 meters. And I would assume if you asked Jessica Hall if, if she would take a 406 before the race started, she would have been like, yeah. Right. And I think <laughs> she would probably think that that would win. <laughs> right. Because this was also a four-second PR for Sinclair Johnson, which is pretty nuts to do that in the NCAA final. I don't think they knew how fast they were running. I think they were just competing head-to-head. And yeah, for sure. And then both seemed a little bit shocked when the the times were there so pretty epic race went down to the final 50 both of these athletes will be exciting to watch on the next stage of course jessica hole is the australian athlete and where's sinclair johnson from Uh, she's oklahoma state florida she's american okay yeah Yeah. american so it'll be interesting to see these two eventually competing on the world stage against each other and they're both juniors so we got another I year. Actually, I had thought Jessica was a senior, but I guess not. At least according to Tifers. Uh, so they both should be back. Another um, young person who did well, Lottie Black, whom people pr- haven't heard of. Lottie Black of Rhode Island in fourth place. Uh, so she's a sophomore. Apparently dropped 27 seconds in her 1500 this year to run 413. <laughs> so I think that's a name we need to remember for next year. Lottie Black. I like it. Yeah. So there you go. Congrats to Sinclair Johnson, the 15. And yes, we have to mention the women's eight. We haven't gotten to that yet. Jasmine Frey from A&M got it done in a 201 and change. Running a negative split which in the 800 is pretty rare. Usually they go up fast and then it's a matter of who fades the least in the second it's lap. It's really rare for her too cuz she yeah. loves to go out super fast. She loves fast to go out and hard. Is never She's kind of had a bad history at NCAA, so it, that was really cool to see her win it. Yeah, this is her first title right. after some near misses. Right. I mean, she sets the college record as a sophomore uh indoors and then it's just that that person who always tries to get after it too hard and, and fades in the last lap of the race. Yeah, so her restraint was pretty impressive. She went out and did, but she did lead wire to wire. I mean, she was first through the 400 and then one. She was 60.9 through the first lap and then 60.4 through the second lap for that ever-elusive 800 negative split. And got it done. Her last 200 was a sub-30 pretty cool so one of the upsets of this meet was the indoor champion Danae Rivers from Penn State not advancing to the final she for I didn't see the race didn't have a good prelim or semifinal I do wonder what her presence in the final you know how that might have changed that would have changed things yep fair point so that's the 800 as we wrap let's talk quickly about the team races or the team 
titles. So Texas Tech won the men's, Arkansas won the women's. Texas Tech gets their first NCAA track and field title. Pretty huge for them. Texas Tech seems to be crushing it across a bunch of different yeah. sports right <laughs> now with the basketball run to the to the final and baseball, I believe, is in the College, college World Series. Crushing on all cylinders there at Tech. And they had to, in a sense, come from behind to win that one, right? Because I think, what team had the early lead? Oh, well, no, 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 Texas, sorry, I mixed that I up. I think by points, Texas, Texas, Texas Tech had been projected to win. They were projected to win, and they got an early lead, so I'm sorry, I mixed that up. So they were just trying to hang on because they didn't have a, a team in the 4x4, four four, I believe. So it was just a matter of whether or not they could hang on down the home stretch. I could be wrong. Yeah. No, uh, but uh, they had definitely clinched it before the four by four. Yeah. 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 So they opened up an early lead. The men's race was interesting. Uh, I I don't know if people, if you haven't watched the flow track series on Houston throughout this, they've done this sort of docu-series on them throughout the season. It's pretty cool. It gives you an inside look. Um, they were hoping to contend for their first team title. They've made the podium in the past three years. Uh, but when the 4 by one 4 by one dropped the baton at regionals, so they did not make it to nationals, and then that kind of killed their chance. And I think from there, you know, Texas Tech kind of hit all their marks. Um, so that would have been more of a fun challenge to follow. Yep. And the women's side of Arkansas came down to the fo- – came down to the 4x4 four four with USC and Arkansas being tied going into that event, and then USC dropped the baton. Whew, that was hard to watch. That was that hard was to watch. And, and it was Anna Cockrell dropped the baton, who had won the 400 hurdles earlier in the meet. So talk about having the highest of the highs and the lowest of the lows, you know, in a number of hours. And she's, yeah, that, that's tough. It's the opposite of last year where Kendall Ellis was able to, I mean, you know, USC has some drama with the 4x4. Four four. I feel like the women's team race the last couple of years has come down to the relay. Um, yep. Yeah, two years ago, Kendall Ellis getting run down by Raven Rogers, losing the 4x4, four four, and then last year having a very improbable uh, win to win the team title. So I guess it follows tradition that something dramatic would happen again. Um, so it was exciting for Arkansas, but you just feel bad to see that happen to an athlete and have it not be a bad race, just like a bad, you, it, you know, it's not about athleticism when you see someone drop a baton. Right. So it's it sort happens. of unfortunate when it comes down to that. It's unusual to have a, de- a baton drop in the four by four yeah. too, which is a little bit, usually a little bit less chaotic than a four by one. So yeah, too bad for USC because I, I mean, I think they were going to win it had they. Yeah. Had oh, they, yeah. They should have won. Yeah. Had yeah. they held the, like, if had they been able to get that baton all the way around. So that athlete has to try to sleep knowing that she cost yeah. her team the team title. The S- other way of looking at it, though, is that if she hadn't won the 400 hurdles, they wouldn't have been in the there. team race anymore. Fair enough. So she did get an NCAA it's a title. Take. Yeah. But overall, really exciting meet across the board. We talked about the distance events, but also, as I said in my last episode, there were crazy fast sprint times. What were some of the highlights for you on the sprint side? 
Uh, Shakari Richardson, LSU freshman. You know, LSU has these crazy freshmen this year, and like Mondo, she announced yesterday that she's going pro. Hasn't announced her sponsor yet, uh, so we'll see what happens. But there's absolutely, that's, you know, 100% the right move. She won the 100. Yeah, so she ran 10.75, uh, breaking a 40-year college record. Uh, don't quote me on that. It might not be exactly 40 years. Yeah. Um, New NCAA record. Yeah. The old record was 1078, uh, I believe also held by an LSU woman. Um, I mean, coming into it, it was cool because so many women this year had run under 11 seconds. We're in that 1098, 99 range. Uh, but to go down to 1075, it's pretty insane. No doubt. Yeah. And, and, and then came back and ran a world junior best uh, in the 200. Let me pull that time up. Only getting second place. Only. Yeah. Only. 22-16 to 22-17. Uh, Angeline Anellis from USC, who, honestly, for winning the 200 two years, two years in a row, really doesn't get that much attention. <laughs> I kind of forgot she was still in college. Um, yeah. So yeah. pretty impressive times there. I mean, Shakari Richardson, I feel like. I mean, that's fast. Aaliyah Hobbs was the U.S. champion last year, and she just ran way... She just blew Aaliyah Hobbs' PR out of the water. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, at the time like that, you could... I mean, you could win worlds, you know, if you run it on the day. For sure. Yeah, I mean, which also makes it kind of weird for these collegiate athletes to have a late July USAs and then an October. Right. October Worlds, it doesn't quite sync up with their schedule as well as it normally does. Because a lot of times you'll have in in World Championship or Olympic years, USAs will be a couple weeks after NCs. So a lot of times the college athletes are really primed because they're in the peak mode versus some of the pros are are starting to gear up so that they can peak maybe later in the season at the actual championship. So it it does create this weird gap for the collegiate athletes, which probably isn't as ideal for them to, to show up well there. But for her, I mean, when you turn pro, you've got to expect to see her at USA's. Right. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. I know just after the meet, the LSU coach, uh, Dennis Shaver said that they probably wouldn't go to USA's. Uh, really? Yeah. Just because it was so off cycle for them. Um, and that she would probably do Pan Ams instead. But I believe in the same interview, he also was saying he would encourage her to come back for her sophomore year. <laughs> I bet. So I think he was being maybe hopeful. all bets are off now. Yeah. <laughs> he was just being hopeful. So we will see. Oh, another another Texas native, by the way. Okay. I believe from the Dallas area. One aside as we close this out, speaking of collegiate and now former collegiate athletes that turned pro early Sydney McLaughlin I don't know if you saw she won the 400 hurdles in her first I think 400 hurdle event as a pro uh first diamond league first diamond league as a pro she crushed it in at the Bislett games there yeah I think 54 16 yep after um, I guess she clipped the first hurdle and then was a little bit behind and came back strong in the final hundred to get the win. I think there was some speculation that maybe Sydney McLaughlin wasn't on top of her game because we haven't seen a lot from her <laughs> recently. But she just showed the world that we better watch out. She's going to be a force for sure. 
not only winning the Diamond League, but running down, clipping the hurdle and running down the Olympic champion, Dalila yeah. Muhammad, who yeah. she's never beaten before. Yeah. So as a, she's probably 19 or 20. She's 19. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> so that's a name which we've talked about a bunch on this podcast to watch because she is, she is, she may be the, the first lady of U.S. track and field for a while. So. Any final thoughts before we wrap it up? We're at an hour and four minutes. <laughs> if you're still with us. <laughs> if you're still with us. <laughs> now, you've got an article coming out on this, which will actually showcase more of the sprint yes. side. So where will people be able to find that? Uh, Podiumrunner.com, um, formerly known as Competitor, now Podium Runner. Uh, I'm going to do a top six takeaways from NCAAs. Uh, yeah. Discussing a little more sprints and hurdles and field than we talked about today. Um, awesome. Got a little bit of a taste. So thank you. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming and suggesting it. And, of course, you can follow JoJo at JoJo Shea, S-H-E-A, on Twitter. If you want to get all of her freelance stuff, which includes that article I just mentioned, plus interviews of Emily Sisson, Paul Chalimo. Jordan Hesay previously, so a lot of good stuff if you follow JoJo. So thank you, JoJo, and thanks, of course, to the audience for indulging us on this runner track nerd topic that we covered today. As always, you can check us out at roguerunning.com or follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or the Facebook at Rogue Running. Until next time, we will talk to you very soon.